beginning our service before the Lord. Let us stand and proclaim the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And we ask you, Lord, to stand. We are grateful for your name, for this place on which we can worship your holy name. We are grateful to your holy name. Continue to lead us with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Sermon of Apostle Arkadiu called, Called to Perfection. This great promised commandment is written in the book of the Evangelist Matthew and is presented to us in the series of sermons Apostle Arkadiu and it is the inheritance of saints of all times and generations and is addressed by Christ as a commandment to his disciples, only to his disciples. That's why those that are not clothed in the dignity of a disciple cannot submit to the order, to the order of God that is in the body of Christ. He is always going to stumble on something and disagree with something. And therefore, people that do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never be able to have a relationship to it. And Apostle Peter in chapter 55 says, Knowing this, that no prophecy in Scripture can be understood by oneself, for prophecy was never spoken by the will of man, but they were spoken by the holy people of God, having been moved by the Holy Spirit. What shall we, what should we ought to know firstly? That no prophecy in Scripture can be realized on our own. And I would like to pay our attention to this place of Scripture where for quite some time now we hear and what the Holy Spirit wants to show us through this. Because this place of Scripture is so faithful and important 
because on from it depends if we gain salvation or will we lose it forever this is the place that says though therefore those who do not acknowledge the authority of the person sent by God have no relation to the commandments in scripture and I will turn to those places of scripture that Dima had shared last Tuesday and I will read certain places that he had read out of the labors of pastor and let's turn our attention to as it is written and then we will define there where pastor provides an extended version of that place of scripture this will be Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 through 3 everyone who thirsts come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat yes come buy wine and milk without money and without price why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David and Apostle Arkadi provides an extended version of this place of scripture Apostle Peter says Apostle Arkadi says that based on the definition the true will of God was laid out in scripture not through men who are led by their own intellect or by the power of their own intellect but through those led by the Holy Spirit and the interpretations of the will of God belong to those led by the power of the mind of Christ the interpretation of the will of God we receive through the Apostles who have the fatherhood of God the lips of God and who are led by the power of the Holy Spirit and so we will read that version of apostle those that desire salvation and God go to the source of living waters even you who do not have a deposit of salvation go and accept the deposit of my salvation on the conditions outlined by me in scripture and accept the one whom I sent and whom I have made the source of living waters and eat that which they will offer you Go and purchase without silver and without the payment of wine. And this phrase, why shall you place the salvation, silver your salvation to circulation for that which is not bread, and your labors for that which does not fill? This means 
Why do you bring your labors and show obedience to the person whom I have not sent and who does not have the bread of life representing the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh? Listen to me intently and eat of the goodness that is given to you through my messengers. Eat the preached good word of the messengers of God and your soul is going to be filled and I will give you the goodness that has been promised to you. And that is ready to be revealed through your obedience to the faith of God. And what do we need in order to receive this promise to David? First, we need to be born of water to the Spirit and to fire. And this is one birth in three functions. And we ought to lose our soul in which we made a covenant of God in blood, salt, and rest in order to fulfill His good, acceptable, and perfect will and to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is a certain process that can be accepted by a person, none other than through instruction in faith in which a person is going to be taught in what his role is expressed and what is the role of God and how to submit our faith to the faith of God and for instruction in faith to be ratified and to be legal it is necessary to dwell in the order of God which highlights the acceptance of a person whom God has sent and whom God has established in order to look over us and to present for us his authority in the preached teaching about the kingdom of heaven or the teaching of Christ. And so the verb go and purchase refers to those who desire the salvation in God because faithfully and important it is to know what kind of person we hear and among what truths we allow ourselves to be tended by a person whom God had sent or a person who has placed himself as leader or someone we have chosen by way of democratic vote because the role of God and the prerogative of God is to establish a person for us endowed with the powers of his wisdom whereas our role and our prerogative is the decision to either acknowledge and submit to the order of God or to reject the order of God. Therefore, to choose life and blessing as well as and hear voice of the Lord and submit to the voice of the Lord means to acknowledge the person whom God has established to hear the preached word about the kingdom of heaven which God has clothed him with and to cling to this word. 
That is why people who do not acknowledge the authority of the person sent by God over themselves have no relation to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never be able to have a relation to it. And we will continue this sermon further For us to be further rooted and affirmed in this word, we will move on. With regard to the fulfillment of this commandment, we have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person. What goals is the righteousness of God called to pursue that abides in our heart, and in part on the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we with the law died to the law to live for the one who died and rose so that in this manner we could receive the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of testimony in the format of the law of the spirit of life in order to give God the basis to give us the promise not with the former law to be heirs of peace but the righteousness of faith just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 Until in our heart the power of life is not established, then there will not be peace in our body. And here we are referring to a kind of of peace in which the spirit, soul, and body are going to be clothed in this peace of God, and He will dwell in our hearts, in our soul, and in our body. We have noted that the righteousness of faith is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God presented in the preached word of the messengers of God. The faith of God and the faith of man are two different things. The faith of God is the information that comes from hearing the preached word of God. Faith is from hearing the word of God. But our faith must somehow collaborate with this faith. And our faith is our obedience to the faith of God or our obedience to the preached word. Our heart must be prepared in order to hear this word, in order to immediately fulfill it. Faith comes from what we hear, and only from that person whose word is anointed by the Holy Spirit, who represents the powers of God, and who is the messenger of God. And there are few of these people. That's why this place of scripture, knowing this, this is what we ought to know. The no scripture or no place of scripture or prophecy is called to be understood by ourselves. These promises represent for us, or rather the apostles represent all of the promises for us. 
And therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who have clothed themselves in the dignity of disciples of Christ, which has allowed them to submit to the order of God according to which He sends us His word through the lips of the messenger of God. That's why there where there is no person established by God, not selected by people, but selected by God, there cannot be the order of God present. Thus, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God. And in a certain format, we have already looked at six signs according to which we should judge and test that we are sons of peace and therefore sons of God. And we have stopped to study the seventh sign. And the seventh sign according to which we should judge of our partaking to the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. When we say holy love, then not everyone understands what holy is. Holy is separating the pure from the impure, holy from unholy. And this means that it does not love everyone, but only those who are going to be pure and holy. This is the selective love. And of course, this is a wrecking ball for all those who have tolerant love. It is written in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. On the basis of this place of Scripture, they say that God loves everyone. But furthermore, in this place of Scripture, it says, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Therefore, not all, but everyone who believes. And Pastor says, we have a translation. It's not the original text. The true translation ought to sound like this. For God so loved everyone who believes in this world that He gave His Son, His one and only Son, that whoever in this world believes shall not perish but have eternal life. For if God loves everyone, then why does John later on say, Children, do not love the world, nor that which is in this world. He who loves the world, in him there is no love of God. For all that is in this world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these are not from the Father, but from the world. How can one of the same person write that God loved the whole world, and then write, Do not love the world, nor that which is in this world? Here it is not written that God loved the world. Here it is written that God loved in this world those that believe, or rather those who will hear His voice, who will hear the truth, and who will come to Him. But above all these things put on love. Here it is referring to the love of God agape, or God's love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be friendly. Colossians 3, 14-15 So the peace of God can dwell only then 
where there is the atmosphere of the love of God, agape. This is there where the peace of God can flow and dwell. According to these words, the reign of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and we are going to be clothed in the selective love of God. How do we define that the selective love of God dwells in our hearts? It dwells in the reigning teaching of Christ. This is the expression of God's love, and it is not an emotion, but information. In the selective love of God are hidden the good and incomprehensible to our mind works of God that are called to build peaceful and unique relationships between God and His people. Christ loved not the world, but the church, and gave Himself up to her through the word that she could be holy and blameless before Him in love. We are, when we are talking about the church, we are not talking about ecclesia, ecclesia, which is the word church, the gathering of people, but it is referring to the chosen out of these people, the chosen bride. Christ had said, for many are called, but few are chosen. Therefore, the bride is always chosen. When the building is finished, it, those that remain, when the wheat matures, it is tested. Only the grain only the grain is gathered. You see how God has defined. And now the choice for what kind of building we are depends on us. It is we who decide, and this is our decision. If we want to pay, or rather, if we do not want to pay the price when we hear the truth, and we remain in the same state in which we came to God, and when we wish to only be at the doorstep of heaven, 
these people do not understand what the doorstep is. Those who think in such a way will never even end up there because the doorstep of the house of God through which we enter into the house of God is the theocracy of God, His order, knowledge of the person over ourselves, not someone that has been selected by people. When the prince comes and brings a sacrifice, what does he do? He reaches the doorstep and does not go further. And the priest comes, takes the sacrifice, and carries it into the temple. This means that our prince acknowledges the authority of the spiritual person as a priest, and he collaborates with him, and he carries his sacrifice, and then his mind, his heart words, works, not his mind. And when people say, I have my own head, I have my own opinion, and at the same time, they hope to be on the doorstep, they will never be at the doorstep because they do not acknowledge this doorstep. To be at the doorstep, we need to acknowledge. However, we ought to know that on the new heaven and new earth, there will not be a doorstep. There will not be an inner court, outer court, or the Holy of Holies. There is not going to be three different separations. There will be everything, hold the Holy of Holies. There is not going to be this separation. It is a temporary, because our spirit is perfect. Our soul is not perfect, and our body is lives unlawfully in us. And this will not exist there. The body is going to be heavenly. The soul is going to be totally different. It is going to coincide to our spirit. Therefore, we read in the prophet Ezekiel, the whole vastness is the Holy of Holies. There's no sanctuary nor inner court. Therefore, those who hope to at least be at the doorstep and who don't want to listen, to understand, to pay the price, and do not acknowledge the authority of the person sent by God, will never be, end up at the doorstep. And in Scripture, the character of the selective love of God is in the light of seven unearthly virtues. This is virtue. From virtue flows knowledge. Out of knowledge flows self-control. This discovers itself in patience. Patience discovers itself in godliness. Godliness discovers itself in brotherly love. And brotherly love discovers itself in love. This is practically one fruit out of seven components. In a certain format, we have already looked at the expression of the selective love of God in the virtues, virtue, knowledge, self-control, and patience, and have stopped to study the love of God in the mystery of its godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 
You see, God has done this and does this through the great mystery of godliness. So He has done this through His bride, that she may be made known through the church to the authorities and powers in heaven through her wisdom. So in heaven, through the church, the wisdom of God is acknowledged. On earth, we are a light to the world. And we know, the demons say in hell, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? As it is written about how God did many wonders through Paul. So people who try to the demons submit only to that person who cast them out by the name of Jesus and not someone who is preached but whom he preaches. And with regard to this factor, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. First, what characteristics does Scripture endow godliness, both God and man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill in relations between God and man and man with God? What conditions are necessary to fulfill in order to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? And by what signs should we define that our godliness truly collaborates with the godliness of God? And we have already studied to the first three questions, and I've stopped to study the fourth question by which we should define ourselves on the subject of the fact that our godliness collaborates with the goodness of God. The third sign, according to which we should test and define ourselves for the subject of the fact that in demonstrating the selective love of God, we collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God, is according to the presence of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm of David the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here we must make a decision. Because in order to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can do so if we make the decision to take off the old man. And then we shall not fear because God is going to be with us. This is the most difficult moment in our life. And furthermore, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Evidence that God is our shepherd in this Psalm of David are four components. These are, the Lord leads me, or makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The Lord will restore our soul. And the Lord forth will lead me in the paths of righteousness. And to test ourselves and to weigh ourselves on the scales of justice that we truly have these components should be done by the, based on the presence of four other components that discover themselves when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. First, we will fear no evil because God is with us. Second, God's rod and staff, they will comfort us. Third, God has prepared for us a table in the view of our enemies. And fourth, God is going to anoint our head and our cup will be filled. Third, God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies, meaning He will give us food when we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent as existent. And in a certain format, we have already looked at the four first four signs according to which we should define that the Lord is our shepherd. And let's, in short definitions, remember and repeat these two results that were already the subject of our previous services and their evidence that the Lord is our shepherd. And the first result that is going to be affirmation that the Lord is our shepherd will be that we will fear no evil because God is with us. And this means that when the Lord attends to us, then he will take the responsibility upon himself to deliver us from evil. He is going to walk in front of us. He is not going to walk behind us or after us. And it is not us that are going to meet headfirst with evil, but he will meet it head on because we have declared battle against our old man and the Lord has walked before us. And so he is going to first accept the battle upon himself, but we and we ought to just follow him. The second result that is going to be affirmation that the Lord is our shepherd will be that the staff of God and the rod of God, they will comfort us. So in this time, we will not have panic. We are going to understand that all that is occurring with us, that which we are feeling right now, is normal. And it will pass. It will not remain always. It will pass. And today we will look at the third result that is going to be affirmation that the Lord is our shepherd. 
And this will be comprised of the fact that God has prepared before us a table in the presence of our enemies. We should understand that as the enemies of David and our enemies, in the presence of which God has prepared a table for us, in this case is our old man with his works, behind which stand the organized powers of darkness. And a table is an old word that fully coincides to the Hebrew word, which came from the word altar. The full version of the word table in Hebrew means it is an altar of the Lord, altar, sacrifice, the table of showbreads, sanctuary for the showbreads, supper table, feast, drinking, drink, supper, room with the table, faith of God abiding in our heart, the hope of our calling, and it is the proclamation of our trust. This is what the definition of the table of the Lord is. This represents Christ who has died for our sins and who has risen for our justification. It is in Christ who has that God contains all of His sworn promises, which are our food, which the Lord has prepared for us in the form of our enemies. But to become our table in the presence of our enemies, this is possible in our income. When we, when we place the deposit of our salvation into circulation, but only in our fruit does the Lord become our food and our table. Income is the fruit of the tree of life that we are called to grow in the soil of a good heart through being taught and instructed in faith, considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent as existent. It is this income and the fruit of our spirit that allows us to enter through the narrow gates so that God can tend to us his green pastures which he in the proclamations of the faith of our heart turned to us into a table prepared for us in the form of our enemies the sign that we have entered through the narrow gates and that God in the fruit of our spirit has become our table in the form of our enemies is our ability to distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit from other voices in the words of the person representing for us the fatherhood of God and following after this voice. If a person has not discovered narrow gates on the path to fulfilling his salvation because he does not have in his heart the signs according to which he can define narrow gates, this means that this person is incapable of distinguishing the voice of the Holy Spirit from the voice of his mind, which is the voice of his flesh. 
and therefore the voice of the Holy Spirit uncovering the truth in the heart through instruction and faith for this kind of a person is going to not be understood and is going to be false because he has lost his salvation and his baptism in which he made a covenant with God stopped being baptism and lost its power. One said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. When Noah entered into the ark, the Lord closed the door after him, and Noah couldn't open this door, this door for the people who stood on the outside, nor people on the outside. They couldn't enter this ark, although all of them in horror had a beat at the door. We are repenting. We've understood that you are right. Forgive us that we considered you foolish. Open the door to us. But God had closed this door behind Noah. It wasn't Noah that closed it. They're wanting these special keys. When God closes this door, then it is made in such a way that there are no doors there. There is no opportunity to enter this ark and no opportunity to enter into this salvation. Then you'll begin to say, We have ate and drank before you, and you have taught us in our streets. But he will say, And so I say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and west, from the north and south, and sit together in the kingdom of God. The four teachings, the four main teachings, Bayes' teachings, they represent the north, south, east, and the west. Each of these sides of light represent one of the teachings, which has a triplicity of functions. These people, they will come and lay with him in the kingdom of God. We have noted that according to these words, the salvation that we have accepted as a gift of grace in the format of a deposit in the seat of the kingdom of heaven can be affirmed only in, under one condition. When we place the silver of our salvation into circulation, having sown our souls in the death of the Lord Jesus, only having sown our souls in the death of the Lord Jesus, we will be able to receive income in the form of the seed. To place the deposit of our salvation into circulation is to die to our nation, to the house of our Father, and to the corrupt lusts of our soul in order to cleanse our conscience from dead works for service to the living and true God. And then, in the income that we have received from such a circulation, the Holy Spirit, who uncovers the narrow gates or who opens the truth in the heart, 
will allow us to discover the narrow gates and to enter through the narrow gates. We should not forget that finding the narrow gates and entering through the narrow gates for each person individually who has accepted salvation is limited by the limits of a certain time. As it is written, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1 If a person loses the limits given to him by God, the time given to him by God to lose his soul in the death of the Lord Jesus, to receive the right to take up his cross and follow after Christ in the face of Jesus, then beyond the limits of this time, even in all his attempts, it will be impossible for him to discover the narrow gates. To discover the narrow gates and to enter through the narrow gates, it is necessary through instruction and faith to have prudence which will express in our heart collaboration in two formats of wisdom, the Mim and Durim. 1 Peter 4, 7 But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious, prudent, and watchful in your prayers. You see, only upon prudence we can be vigilant. If we do not find ourselves in the limits of the time appointed by God for the fulfillment of our calling, comprised of the adoption of our body, the redemption of Christ, we wait for not a reward, but a loss of all that we thought to have. Luke chapter 19, verse 26. I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And a question arises. What will be given to those who have? Take a look. We must take a few places of scripture in order to define what we are referring to here. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is, a, is what is written in Luke 19.26. How do we understand? What is this? To have, what does it mean to have so that it will be given to us? Here's how we see the answer as we have read. And therefore, be prudent and be vigilant or watchful in prayer. Be prudent. This is what will be given to all those who have. It is this prudence. And if a person does not have prudence, then from him will be taken away that which he thinks to have. We shall not be afraid in relation to that which we might not end up in the time allowed by God in the realization of our calling appointed for the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. If we have accepted the promise that relates to the door of our hope, and we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, 
calling the inexistent as existent, then we already have the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, and we can, with joy, look upon the end of the harvest. We can be vigilant in this prudence, especially since we have the preached word in which God is vigilant over the word in our hearts so that it can soon be fulfilled. Isaiah 66, verses 9 through 6. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I cause delivery? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her. That you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. So the Lord comforts us with this Jerusalem. We know that these breasts represent for us Urim and Thummim. These are the tower and the walls of the Jerusalem that give us the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in the heart. And God gives the basis to hear our voice. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed on her sides, shall you be carried, and be dandled on her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. And here we are referring not to the people of this world, for the Lord will come into His temple. First, He will create and order the temple, and then this prophetic word in our heart is called to be the table that is comprised of the sworn promises of God. And partaking of this table, we give God the basis to affirm the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ in the form of our enemies that God can lift up in our body the power of life and so that our body can become the house of the Heavenly Father in which He will eternally dwell and we at the same time will receive the basis to eternally dwell in God. And so, in order to be found in the time that has been outlined by God for the affirmation of our salvation, it is necessary for us to have prudence in order to be vigilant in prayer and to demonstrate this 
diligent love to one another, serving one another with that which we have been given by God. If we, through instruction in faith, will observe prudency, then for the perfection of our salvation, we, like Joshua, will understand the need to, by the power of God, to either return the son of our time back or to stop it in order to fulfill this work that has begun. But if we are so, if we lack prudency in such a way that we do not study and do not look into the interests of God that are contained in the seasons of time or in the signs of the times in order to understand what, when, and how we ought to, what we ought to do in this time. And if we pursue only our own interests and search for only our own benefit in all relations, both with God and people, we are already condemned and our perdition does not slumber. And so the time for the fulfillment of the decree of judgment to fulfillment is only a question about the end of harvest. Why do people not understand the season of time and why do they, before rapture, many churches have run to try and save someone else, to evangelize to someone else. The latter rains are not given to evangelize. They are given to grow the fruit and not for sowing. This is that early rain that we are given to grow, but the latter rain is so that the fruit can come in its full strength and capacity. Therefore, the latter rains are going to spread upon the church and the early rains upon the church and not on the world because people repent on the territory of the church and not outside of it. If they repent on the outside of it with, by some kind of missionaries who have made themselves evangelists and have gone out and built churches, then these churches are built outside of God's order. Because the Church of Jesus Christ is called to be a missionary and not individual people who have come out of the church and have decided to make themselves evangelists. These are those that resist God, who have violated God's order, and it is important to know this. And so let us take a look at what Apostle Peter meant and what meaning he contained in the ability to be prudent or to have prudence. And the acquisition of which will depend our ability to be vigilant in prayers. First Peter 4.8 But above all things have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Here we mean that how after prudence we have the following words. So Peter expands the thought about what prudence is. Prudence is to have a fervent love for one another because love will cover a multitude of sins. What kind of love covers a multitude of sins? Our love for one another. We forgive one another the multitude of our transgressions. This is what this is referring to. We wash one another's feet and that's why Apostle Peter says have this kind of fervent love for one another. And this is prudence. The phrase, but above all things, 
firstly means use your prudence to achieve diligent love for one another which will give God the basis to adopt our bodies because diligent love is the atmosphere in which God dwells because just as God has forgiven our sins we are called to forgive one another not searching for the sin upon him but to forgive each time we have the opportunity to forgive whoever has brought anything upon us and when we have the opportunity to demonstrate prudence and to forgive sins and then what does God do as it is written if you forgive people their trespasses then your Heavenly Father will forgive you your trespasses if you do not forgive people their trespasses then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you your trespasses so we then um, for us appears an opportunity to demonstrate and express this prudence when someone does something against us we say praise God I have an opportunity to cover the sin of this person so that God can forgive my sins in other words it is from the presence of prudence in our heart will depend our submission to the gospel or our ability to discover the narrow gates and to strive to enter through the narrow gates to strive to means to apply all of our energy and efforts to fight the full meaning of this phrase through the narrow gates means through or with the help of narrow gates through a certain action through the separation of the spirit and soul through mutual love for one another through fervent strivings with the Holy Spirit and through the patience of Christ and the phrase when the master of the home stands means that when the master begins to awake awake from slumber to awake the power of life in the body what is significant is that the phrase be fervent or rather be prudent according to its meaning contains a commandment from the fulfillment or non-fulfillment of which will depend either our salvation or our perdition And this means that to be prudent or to not be prudent depends on us ourselves or our rational decision and our voluntary decision to choose either life or death, good or evil, obedience or disobedience. We should note that God is never going to tell us to have that which we are incapable of achieving. And so we are offered a decision between prudence or foolishness and if a person does not strive to enter through the narrow gates by way of prudence then this place is filled with foolishness which a person according uh, 
to his calamity considers wisdom. To be prudent means to be healthy or to have or with a renewed mind to understand the signs of the times, to be self-controlled, to be righteous. Prudence is one of the definitions and expressions of the fruit of righteousness. Someone that has prudence is a person who practices righteousness by way of vigilance in prayer and by way of serving with a fervent love toward one another in the congregation of saints. Whereas to be vigilant in prayer means to be sober, to be watchful, to be understanding, to be withheld. We can be vigilant in prayer and be in our prayers all of these components uh, if we are not prudent, even if we were to pray for 24 hours a day. Even if 24 hours a day we would pray in tongues. Because some people think that if they pray in tongues, then this is a certain reward on their end. This will bring upon a certain reward. God won't do anything for these people. He will do something through this tongue if we understand prudence and how to be vigilant in prayer. Prudence and vigilance in prayer taken together give us the basis to rule over our emotions and to lead them after ourselves and as a result to serve one another. And this kind of union on our hand is the result of our rational decision. Speaking of prayer, we are called to always remember that there exist two main kinds of prayer that are closely related to one another and feed one another with an anointing power. This is the form of a prayer state and the form of prayer exercise. And if one of these kinds of prayer, due to our ignorance or our neglect, will somehow be neglected, um, then both lose their value. We have affirmed on numerous occasions this divine principle. The state of a warrior of prayer will then reflect his prayer. In this verse, Apostle Peter talks about prudence that is necessary for being vigilant or watchful in prayer, which does not relate to the exercise of prayer, but a state, atmosphere of the heart. So the initial act is not the exercise in prayer, but the state in the format of a sanctified altar. An incorrect state in prayer brings our prayer to zero and turns our exercise in prayer into something that is unacceptable to God. Because a prayer state defines our inner motives or our altar for offerings. Whereas exercise in prayer defines our sacrifice upon this altar. That is why the sacrifice becomes holy only thanks to the cleansed and sanctified altar. And if our altar is sanctified, 
then all that is pure that touches this altar will be sanctified. Or if on the contrary, our altar is not sanctified, meaning our heart is not cleansed of dead works, and there is no reigning teaching of Christ that has been brought into it, then it doesn't matter what we bring upon this unclean altar, Scripture says. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy, because the flock that is on the green pasture, they are pure sheep, and not one of them are holy, but only that sheep that is separated from this flock in order to be brought upon the altar, it becomes holy. Holy means separated. What is holy? It is separated from the uh, common majority, because many are called. The called are not holy. There is a small chosen of holy. When there were many that called to salvation, what does God do in this moment? He begins to select from this multitude. And how does He select? Based on us. God is based on us. He looks at how we react to the truth. Are we ready to be disciples? Are we ready to pay a price for discipleship? Are we ready to acknowledge His order? Are we ready to refuse our own opinion, our own head, and to say, Lord, I acknowledge the person whom you have established, and my opinion I lay as a sacrifice. All that He will say will be my opinion. But many people say, well, this cannot be so. Are all the people here without heads? But they don't understand. We as sheep, we need a shepherd. As soon as the shepherd goes forth, the shepherd which they know, then the flock go after him. But if this is not so, this uh, will be unfortunate. There are rams. Rams also depend on a shepherd. We need to accept God's order. We need to understand what a sanctified altar is. And therefore, if there is no prayer state, then however correct our words may be means no difference. Because these correct words in prayer will pursue unfaithful motives. For the mark of the beast on the forehead and on the right hand 
outwardly did not differ from the seal of God on the foreheads of saints. Therefore, in order to bring people to uh, to bring people to confusion, Satan, w- what he does through the false apostles and false teachers, is he leaves the outer forms or the outer form of prayers without change, but he does not focus on the motives of a person's desires. He points to the fact that it's important to pray in tongues. It's important to do this and that, but this prayer does not reflect our state. We need the teaching that is going to change our inner state because devil does not even have a need to to change our motives. All that he needs to do is to more brightly and better uncover the significance of exercise in prayer and to cause results which outwardly, again, are not going to differ from true wonders. It is in this way millions of Christians who have been lied to, they march under the banner of darkness, thinking that they are marching under the banner of light, and they think that they are headed to eternal life, whereas, in fact, they are headed to their eternal perdition. Because they have made for themselves exercise and prayer as primary and they have focused all of their attention on the exercise of prayer itself, their forms and their correct states which would rely on the promises of God noted in scripture and simultaneously would alter when they have placed themselves the exercise in prayer as primary when they go into the house of God they do not walk prudently when they go into the house of God they don't observe and watch after their motives and they do so having done evil they go to church in order to pray to sing in order to bring a sacrifice to honor God with tithes and offerings but their state their motives differ and they do this in order to become rich I'm going to give to God and God will open up heaven for me and will pour out his blessings upon me abundantly. You see, their motives are different. But for God, when we do this, uh, our motives must be different. When we do this, God will open up his heavens and will uncover himself and then we will know God and the promise of God. And it is through these promises of God that we will know what we have need of and what we do not. And so let's look at how, where, when, and how Scripture uses the word prudence and how it defines its application and its significance. Because prudence is the fruit of our spirit, which God has made for us a table in the presence of our enemies. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps prudence will find good. Proverbs 19, verse 8. He who keeps prudence will find good, will find the goodness, the grace of God. And therefore, these words, in order to gain, cultivate, and to keep prudence, we have two verbs, to get and to keep. 
To get is to pay a price, and to keep means to follow the order or to fulfill the actions of obedience to the faith of God. So when we hear, we must immediately fulfillment, to not leave it until tomorrow. Today I'll do this and this and this, and then tomorrow I'll start. No, we ought to immediately begin to fulfill as soon as we have heard. Prudence makes a person slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 19:11. You see, prudence makes a person not just slow to anger, but it also overlooks a transgression. Anger is not riled up in him. That is why he is able to demonstrate humility. The thing is, is that anger has a place only in the hearts of foolish people, whereas a person that is prudent by the power of a meek tongue bridles his emotions. A foolish person is incapable of stooping down to the actions of his surroundings, whereas a prudent person, on the contrary, overlooks the transgressions of his surroundings. Somebody who withholds his anger is prudent. And this we see in Proverbs and different places of Scripture. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Proverbs 12:16. In other words, if a person does not have prudence, then he is always foolish without dependence on his culture or education. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Proverbs 13:17. A foolish person believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Proverbs 14:15. So take a look here. We ought to never believe every single word that we are brought, especially evil words. And we should never spread gossip or slander to others because this is what foolish people do. The words that we accept are words in which we believe, which we follow, and which become our paths, our ways. That is why a prudent person is attentive to his ways. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but this, uh, the foolish pass on and are punished. Proverbs 22:3. Who then is faithful and wise servant whom him his master made rule over his household to give them food in due season? Matthew 24, verse 45. Prudence is, in fact, one of the definitions and expressions of the righteousness of the heart. And therefore, a person that has prudence is a person that has righteousness or a person who practices righteousness, a way of serving with fervent love to one another. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us.
and a little bit more about regarding the table. So the table that God has prepared for us in the, for, in the presence of our enemy is the result of our obedience to the commandments of God, which is seen as the fruit of righteousness. And therefore, the table that is presented uh, for us by God in the presence of our enemy will serve for us as either the snare of the kingdom of heaven or a snare of eternal perdition, depending on our relationship to the preached word of the messengers of God. A table prepared for us by God in the presence of our enemies will be comprised of the state of the heart in which we will prepare the ark of salvation for our household. By faith, Noah, he prepared the ark of saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. The table prepared for us by God in the form of our enemies will be comprised of the result of our collaboration with the fear of the Lord in which we with which we walk along the paths of the Lord or along the paths of the fear of the Lord blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways when you eat the labor of your hands you shall be happy and it shall be well with you your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heat of your house in the very heart of your house your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall be the man, thus shall man be blessed who fears the Lord. A table prepared for us by God in the presence of our enemy will be comprised of heavenly manna and the water that flows from the rock. A table prepared for us by God in the presence of our enemies is the home that is built by wisdom on seven pillars under which we view our body that is adopted and through the redemption of Christ. And finally, a table prepared for us by God in the form of our enemies is the cup of blessing or the cup of the new covenant that unites us to the blood of Christ and the bread that is broken that unites us to the body of Christ. And I think that our time has drawn to a conclusion and we will end at this. And to summarize what we were able to understand for us from all of this and what we have seen, that evidence of the fact that God is our shepherd, we have seen this evidence and these signs according to which we define that God is our shepherd is that we will fear no evil that God's rod and staff they shall comfort us that God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies and fourth God will anoint our head with oil and our cup will run over also we looked at what prudence is because only upon prudence we can be vigilant in prayer, waiting for the adoption of our body. We have already so seen that prudence is to have fervent love for one another. And to be prudent means to have a healthy and renewed mind, able to discern the signs of the times, to be self-controlled, to be righteous. Prudence is in fact one of the expressions of the fruit of righteousness. Amen. Let us bow our heads and we shall pray. 
May the Lord bless us in our prayers. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this privilege to be found and to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you for this blessed place that you have chosen. We thank you for this presence upon this place because upon this place this is the ladder that unites us with heaven and the angels ascend and descend on it and you are present here and we are able to draw near to you with our faith we are able to draw near to your garments as that woman had who had suffered and who had used up all but she said in her heart if I touch the edge of his garment I will be healed and we thank you Lord that by our faith, we are able to draw near to your faith. And receive all that is necessary, which we have a need in before you. So that we have prudence. How to be vigilant in prayer. In order to ask according to your will that which is pleasing to you. We thank you. We thank you for your presence, for your mercy and your truth, which has made us free, made us free from sin. Because only by dwelling in your word we become true disciples, and we know your truth, which makes us free from sin. We thank you that you are our shepherd, that you make us lie down in the green pastures, lead us beside still waters, that you strengthen our soul and you direct us upon the ways of righteousness. We thank you that you teach us through your living word to make our paths firm to teach and to take our foot away from evil and so that we do not look to the right or the left. Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ that you lead us through the furnace in order to cleanse us from all impurities of the flesh. We thank you 
that the peace of God that is above all understanding, it keeps our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. Allow us for us to more and more make our calling and election firm because having doing done so we will never stumble for the, through this we will be allowed a free entrance into the kingdom of our Lord we thank you that you keep our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus May your mercy be over us. We thank you for this word that we have heard. Let it produce its work in us because this is the living word. Let it penetrates to the separation of the soul and spirit and so that it judges the intentions. We thank you, we worship before you, we magnify you, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory in unblemished joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.